Yep, you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, January the 10th in the year of our Lord, 2018. And uh, normally I have with me Wes Reimnitz, but he is on assignment today. So I'm all by myself. And it got me thinking about that I ought to really continue the conversation we had yesterday about the atheist, the gay person, and the pastor who went into a bar together and had about a 45-minute to one-hour conversation. Now, somebody kind of kidding me knew that I was one of them. He said, which one were you? <laughs> That's pretty good. No, I was a pastor, of course. And if you hadn't heard yesterday, I wear a jacket that has www.lawgospel.com on it so people can go to my website and learn a lot about law and gospel. And people see that and they see the word gospel. And I was asked, are you involved with the church? I said, I'm a pastor. And this was outside the bar. And they finally said, well, look, we're going into this bar. Would you be willing to come in and talk with us for a while? And, and so I did. Yesterday, I gave you a lot of the items that we were talking about. Uh, today, I want to share with you the technique that a pastor uses in talking with people who are unbelievers, uh, regardless of their particular station in life. I'm going to use the analogy of a physician. A person goes to his doctor and says, I have a pain in my shoulder. Now, doctors have been trained, and almost immediately they will know that it's not an ingrain, ingrown toenail. That doesn't cause a pain in the shoulder. But it could be about 12 other things that could be causing the pain in the shoulder. And so the doctor is trained to do a proper diagnosis. It could be cancer. Uh, it, it could be that it was just strained. I remember when I had my motorcycle accident years ago, I still have a pin in my shoulder because at the end of my double surgery, they asked if they wanted, if, if I would mind having a third surgery to take the pin out. And I said, nope, we'll leave it in. And so far, it's never bothered me. Regardless of the weather conditions, I, I don't feel it at all. But there, there was a time when a patient came into a doctor with a pain in the shoulder, and the doctor found out that he had a bullet in his shoulder in the back of it. And the man didn't even realize he had been shot. So I, as a patient, am not trained to properly diagnose what is wrong with me when I have a pain or some illness or whatever. So also with a pastor. A pastor who attends the seminary, learns the Hebrew, learns the Greek, learns the systematic theology, that means how the Bible is to be understood. When he listens to someone, he immediately comes to a point where, okay, Here's where the person is mistaken, and here's how it can be corrected. And one of the points I made yesterday, just because somebody is wrong with doctrine doesn't mean that you immediately give him Bible verses to show that he's wrong. For example, 
the atheist said to me, I don't have a God. Well, I could have said, well, according to Lutheran theology, everyone has a God. Whoever or whatever you trust in is your God. And I knew that to be true because he trusted in his own views on morality. That was his God because he told me nobody, even anybody higher up than me, is going to tell me how to think about what is good and what is bad. So it would have been a waste of time to, to show him that he had a God because there was something else going on there. This is one of the reasons why in my ministry, law and gospel is so important. C.F.W. Walther, the uh, first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, did a series of lectures uh, last century, and they were all about the distinctions between law and gospel. There were 25 different principles he had, but 21 of them were ways in which not only pastors, but also the laity confuse the meaning of law and gospel from God's point of view. The, the one that I was using in talking to the atheist and the homosexual was Thesis 23. Uh, this is the 19th way in which people mess up law and gospel. And here, let me read it, and then I'll show how I used it. In the 19th place, the word of God is not rightly divided when attempt is made by means of the demands or the threats or the promises of the law to induce the unregenerate to put away their sins and engage in good works and thus become godly. On the other hand... When an endeavor is made by means of the commands of the law rather than by the admonitions of the gospel to urge the regenerate to do good. Now, as I was listening, uh, particularly to both of them, they had views on morality that were contrary to mine. Mine were based on the word of God. Theirs were based on some feeling within them. Nobody has to tell me what is right and what is wrong. Now, here's where their problem was. And I, I, I said, I can understand why you're an atheist. Because he believed that if he had to believe in a God, and I'm quoting here from C.F.W. Walther, that the God would want you to be godly because he's given you laws. And therefore, the law issues commands to you. And therefore, that's the only way you're going to get to heaven. See, this is what he believed. Guess what? Uh, when I say this, I'm going to have to explain it. As Pastor Mark Smith often says to me. I believe he was an atheist because... He had the Lutheran view of God. What? what? What's a Lutheran view of God? A Lutheran view of God, and we find this throughout the scriptures, is that God does not demand you to obey the law in order to save yourself. In fact, you can't do that. 
there's no doubt that forced obedience is not real obedience. And see, that's why he was an atheist. He, as I was talking with him and the other gentlemen, they could not really like a God who was telling them, you got to do this, you got to do that, especially in areas where they didn't think what they were doing was wrong. Uh, remember yesterday I said the atheists didn't see a real problem with adultery if there were two consenting adults. So what we're talking about here is a situation in which they actually, particularly the atheists, had a Lutheran understanding of God, but he didn't understand it. Because he didn't want to believe in a God that forces you to be obedient in order that you are going to go to heaven. And so because of his fear, what did he do? He denied that there was a God. Uh, yesterday, I talked about Jonathan Fisk, who had said in a previous broadcast I was listening to that individuals excuse themselves from having to obey the law. And he was talking about Francis Pieper, who was another great professor at the seminary uh, way before I attended there. But the point he used was actually, as I found out, a quote from Romans chapter 1, where God says unbelievers excuse themselves from sin. Because why? They cannot stand the idea that the only way they're going to get to heaven is by obeying the law perfectly, which is precisely Lutheran theology. In fact, that was what the whole Reformation was about. A lot of people think, well, the Reformation was about what is sin. No, no, it wasn't. The Roman Catholics at that time thought sin was serious and devastating, as did the Lutherans. The, the real problem at the time of the Reformation uh, can be summarized with this question. What is the role of good works in your salvation? The Roman Catholics, even to this day, say you're not saved by faith alone. You're saved by faith plus good works. And the Lutherans say, no, you're saved by faith alone. That's it. And the analogy I love using is, of course, God's wonderful analogy about how you become a member of the church is by adoption. I've said this a thousand times, but just to underscore what I'm talking about here, a child who gets adopted doesn't become the child of those parents by his works. In fact, his previous works count nothing towards his being adopted. And once he's adopted, his subsequent works count nothing in regard to whether or not he's a child of those parents. Because becoming adopted is a decision made by parents-to-be and a court, and regardless of the works of the child, guess what? That child is a child of those parents. Works have nothing on the part of the child, have nothing to do with it. I can understand why I would be an atheist, too, if I really thought that the true God is a God who's going to send me to hell because I'm 
unable to stop from sinning. You see, it's very clear in the scriptures. The Ten Commandments are two tables of the law. The first three deal with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those are kind of our relationship to God. But the following seven deal with our neighbor. You know, honor your father and mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, etc. The Bible makes clear that the commandments of the second table of the law are planted in the hearts of human beings. I mean, it's a, a rare tribe that you find anywhere where murder is not frowned upon, where adultery is not frowned upon, where stealing is not frowned upon. But in those same tribes, there's no understanding of having to worship God on a regular basis or not using his name in vain, this sort of thing. That, that's kind of rare. So people are born with an inside understanding of what is right or wrong. And the more they learn that, the more perturbed they come. I've used this example many a time. And my son Luther is five years old, and uh, he and I are alone in the house. And I say, Luther, I've got to go to the garage for about 15 minutes. And while I'm there, do not go in the basement. Guess what happens when I go to the garage? Luther sneaks down into the basement. Why? Because by nature, we don't like people telling us what we have to do. And so we excuse ourselves somehow saying, well, I, I thought there was something down there I, I needed to see. Excusing oneself is really the mark of the unbeliever. And the best way to excuse yourself is to believe there's no God, particularly when you have a Lutheran view of God. Now, am I saying they're Lutheran? No, no. What, what they're doing is not being able to understand that God is a God who is going to take you to heaven regardless of your works. That's what the whole Reformation was about. Heaven is open through faith, not through obedience. Because what an atheist recognizes is forced obedience is not really obedience. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. So when... I'm talking to these two individuals in the bar. I, I make the point that, you know, if I believed in God, or I should say in the God you don't believe in, I'd be an atheist too. And they kind of looked at me, what are you talking about? You're a pastor. I said, no, if I believed in a, a God who forces me to become obedient in order that he can save me, what kind of God is that? That's not a very loving God. Now, one of them had children, and I said, do you force your children to be obedient before you give them dinner 
or give them clothes to wear or a bed to sleep in and the many other benefits they have with you as their father? And he said, no, no. And I said, that why not give God that much credit? And once, you see, this is really an important distinction between law and gospel. You give the law to those who are not believers. So what is the law, according to Thesis 23 of C.F.W. Walther here? The law is pretty simple. It's to tell them that there's no difference between you and me, I'm a pastor, in regard to sin. I confess, I told them, that often I confess I'm a sinner deserving nothing but temporal and eternal wrath. Now, it was as though this was the first time they had ever heard something like that, that a Christian was saying that he doesn't believe he's getting to heaven by his works. But you see, this is why I believe a lot of people still join the Roman Catholic Church, because the Roman Catholic Church makes common sense in regard to God, whereas the Lutheran Church does not. What do I mean by that? Everything you do in the secular world, you do in order to get ahead. You, you study at school to go to the next grade. You do a very good work at your place of employ in order to uh, go up higher to get a promotion. You really are nice to someone you go on a date because you wouldn't mind maybe continuing to go on a date and maybe even marrying them. In the world, you get ahead by your works. And that's why Roman Catholicism makes sense because that's how many people imagine that's how they get ahead with God. And they'll excuse themselves by saying things like, well, it's one thing to confess that you believe in God, but if you don't do good works, then that shows you don't believe in God. They got to remember in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, when the sheep go into heaven, God lists all the fruit of the Holy Spirit they did, which they cannot remember. So God is making the point that that's what the Holy Spirit did within them. You see, forced obedience means that you have, and, and this, by the way, is what C.F.W. Walther says, Forced obedience is no obedience. No. It, it would be like uh, me telling the kids, well, you, you want to go uh, to, to McDonald's? Well, then clean your room, cut the lawn, and wash my car. And you don't do anything with them unless they meet the requirements that you set down ahead of time. How long do you think they want to stay in that house? Because forced obedience is no obedience. Then, then what's the gospel? Well, that came about when one of them finally asked me, why did you come in here knowing that you're going to disagree with our views on morality and such? Why would you even want to talk to us? 
And I said, because I've got some really good news for you. We've already arrived at the decision that you agree with me that a God who forces you to be obedient isn't a God that you want to worship. I don't want to worship him either. That's not much of a God. In fact, most parents are better than that God because they don't force their children to do things in order to receive blessings. But I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Jesus is someone who not only does not force you to be obedient, but he also forgives those times you are disobedient for, for no reason at all in regard to what is within you. But every reason because of what he did on the cross and paying for your sin. By the way, that led to a conversation about that the God of the Old Testament is really a mean God, and if Jesus was God, he's a lot better God. Until I began to show them passages in the Old Testament where God is forgiving sins, look at David and Bathsheba. God forgives his sin as he repents of it. There's many passages in the Old Testament that portray God in the same way as the New Testament. So what I was operating with is this 23rd thesis where here was an individual who had decided to become an atheist because he hated to be forced to be obedient. And boy, did I have some interesting news for him that there is no such God who really exists who forces you to be obedient in order to be saved. Because what God looks at is your motivation. You see, if you believe in a God who says that if you do these good works, you will be saved, then you're doing good works out of self-interest. But the true God is someone who still wants you to do good works but out of love for God. You can't have love towards a God that is forcing you to be obedient in order that he might be helpful to you, beneficial to you, or give you blessings. And yet we even got Christian pastors who are talking this way. I mean, how many times do we hear, the reason you are not being blessed is you are not obedient enough? That's ridiculous. That's not found anywhere in Scripture. That's important to say that. I kind of agree with Martin Luther, who once said that atheists are closer to understanding the true God than agnostics are. Agnostics, that's from two words in the Greek, just not knowing whether there is a God. An atheist says there is no God. Ah, uh, without theos, God, atheist. Why are they closer? Because whether they realize it or not, they really have a Lutheran view of God. They hate the idea that God is telling them, boy, oh boy, you need to be perfect in your obedience because they know they can't. 
And so the way they excuse themselves from that inability to save themselves, they do it in two ways. Number one, they set up their own rules. They're like the Pharisees in uh, Luke. Thank God I'm not like that tax collector. The see, that was a sin. A tax collector was a Jewish person who was collecting taxes for the hated Romans. And he often collected more than was necessary so he could become rich. But, but what does the Pharisee say why God loves him? Because I fast, I tithe. You see, he starts setting up ceremonial laws as the reason for his salvation. It's, it's easy to obey the ceremonial laws. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he really followed the ceremonial laws. But then he came to an understanding from the Sermon on the Mount that the moral laws could be broken not only by deed, but also by thought and by word. So I ended up conversing with these two individuals, and I finally said, the reason I wanted to meet with you is because I love you. And, of course, that had to be explained. <laughs> the point I was making is, look at what Jesus has done for me. He loves me, even though I don't deserve it. So if I were to look at your lifestyle and say, well, you don't deserve to hear the message, that's a real problem. How many times have you been talking to an unbeliever who will not believe in the true God because he has a view of God that we don't believe in also? That's why my technique is always to ask questions. Well, what kind of God don't you believe in? Why are you an atheist? Well, I can't stand the idea of somebody telling me what to do. I don't have to listen to anybody. <laughs> and you can argue with him and say, well, by the way, therefore, I don't have to listen to you. Because my inside tells me you're wrong. You know, we're never going to have a conversation on the basis of this. And so finally, the conversation has to get back to law and gospel. When I said to the atheist, by the way, I really agree with you as to why you're an atheist. Because if I believed in a God that you don't believe in, the way you don't believe in him, I'd be an atheist too. Why? Because the God you believe in doesn't exist. There is no God in the entire universe that's alive who will say, forced obedience saves you. And that's why he was an atheist. He couldn't stand the idea of forced obedience. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, we can talk more about that. We also have a bunch of emails. Uh, one of them deals with uh, the Lord's Supper. Do people get sick and die today because they take the Lord's Supper inappropriately? We'll, we'll deal with that email and a couple of others. Plus, take your phone calls. I'm Tom Baker. You're listening to Law and Gospel. Looking forward to talking to you on Open Mic Friday. God bless. Listen to Long Day at this time on Worldwide KFUO. 
For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law and Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.